0: Good morning, everyone. It's our joy to be sharing this Sunday service with you all. So I'd like to welcome you and welcome all of our guests here this weekend for our um, You Can Train, Change Your Brain program, and also all those tuning in online. So today's reading, By Thinking, Can We Arrive at Understanding? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. There are many places in the Gospels where we see Jesus in open conflict with the Pharisees. That is to say, with man-made as opposed to true Mystical tradition. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 15, we see a good example of how they and he locked horns. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees from Jerusalem came and asked, asked Jesus, Why do your disciples break our ancient tradition and eat their food without washing their hands properly first? Jesus, after scolding them for their hypocrisy in observing lesser rules so carefully while ignoring the much more important ones, said, Listen and understand this thoroughly. It is not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him common or unclean. It is what comes out of a man's mouth that makes him unclean. It wasn't that Jesus counseled against such wholesome practices as washing one's hands before eating. In an age, however, when lesser rules were given too much importance relative to the truly important observances, cleansing the heart of impure desires, for example, he emphasized the supreme importance of loving God and of communing with him. The Pharisees the orthodox religionists of his day, in other words, had brought true religion down to a level of intellectual hair-splitting. They mistakenly considered the way to understanding to lie through a minefield of definitions, which they tried to refine to ultimate exactitude. Jesus taught, however, that the intellect alone can never lead one to truth. Without love, indeed, there is no ultimate verity. Without fixity of purpose, born of the heart's devotion, the intellect wanders endlessly. It cannot settle for long on anything. As the Bhagavad Gita says in the second chapter, the intellects of those who lack fixity of spiritual purpose are inconstant their interests endlessly ramified. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh,
1: Good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be here with you all. Krishna has forgot to introduce us. For those who don't know us, this is Swami Krishnadas, and I'm Swami Mantra Devi. We'll start this morning with a reading from Whispers from Eternity by Paramahansa Yogananda. Make me silent that I may eloquently converse with thee. I wandered through forests of incessant searchings, and arrived at the mystery door of thy presence. On the doors of silence I knocked loudly, and my persistent blows of faith and the doors of space opened. There, on the altar of the glorious visions, I beheld thee resting. I stood with restless eyes, waiting for thee to speak. I heard not thy creative-making voice. At last the spell of stillness stole upon me, and in whispers taught me the language of angels. With the lisping voice of seaborne freedom, I tried to speak, and the light of thy temple assumed sudden brilliancy and wrote letters of light. In my little chamber of quietness, I am always resting. I never speak, but with the voice of my silence. Through my silence, eloquently converse with me. Our subject today, through thinking, can we arrive at understanding? Interesting subject. And our minds play such a big part in our lives, don't they? I was reading about a little girl. She went to school, and after the first week of school, she came home, and she said to her mother, she said, Mommy, I'm just wasting my time. I can't read, I can't write, and they won't let me talk. <laughs> so, you know, we just want... um, Master talked a lot, and Swamiji talked a lot about the different parts of our mind, the superconscious, conscious, conscious, and subconscious parts of our mind. And I was thinking about that, how, think of them as different rooms. And the subconscious part of our mind is a big room. It's a very big room. We throw everything in there. And there's doors going between these different rooms. And so the subconscious mind is always there collecting everything, supporting the other minds. But then where we spend probably the most amount of our time is in the next room. And it's the smallest room. And it's the conscious mind. So what happens is we spend a lot of time thinking, don't we? We spend a lot of time in our conscious minds with... um, That's the part of our mind that gets information through our senses, that likes to analyze things, that likes to figure things out, that goes through the problems and always thinking about the problems and trying to figure them out. And we still, we keep going around and around in that room. And often we can't find the door out of the room. We can't find the door to the superconscious part of our mind because we're, we're trying in the wrong way. We're thinking and thinking and, and not realizing that, oh, the door's right there. It's easy to open. But we're not doing it in the right way. Swami Kriyananda said that when he would counsel somebody and they would keep countering him or keep finding reasons, you know, like, well, yeah, but that won't really work well, I could do that, but, uh, well, no, I'm not, can't do that. He knew that they were stuck in their conscious mind and that they would keep going around and around in that room and not find the answer until they went deeper into themselves. And isn't that true when when you're thinking and you're thinking about a problem, you're thinking about a problem, and then suddenly, ah, I get it. Now, there's almost a pause between the two, like you're changing gears, right? And through the thinking process, you're not getting there, but suddenly you go into another mode. And um, the only way that we can get there is through meditation. We have to still the mind and calm the feelings of the heart. So it takes both. It takes that calm feeling in our heart in order to access that, it also takes that still mind in order for that answer, for for the illumination, whatever it is that we're seeking, to take us deeper. So then you can go out of that door, out of the conscious mind, and get into the super-conscious mind. And it over and over, the saints show us just how to do this. They also are examples for us. And... Um, St. Teresa of Avila, for one, she had a wonderful mind. She had a very, very alert mind, very good mind. She loved to use her mind, and she loved to converse with people. And, and She started many different uh, monasteries, and, and she had a, a really good mind for that kind of work. But as she said, she said, in one ecstasy, all the answers are answered, all the problems are answered that that's where she went. And she had such a divine and such a a deep relationship with Christ that he became real in so many ways for her. There was uh, one time that a nun heard moaning and crying coming from Teresa's cell. And she went running in there. And Teresa was in ecstasy. And she was calling out. And she was was calling out to, to Jesus. And... Then slowly she came back to this level of existence, and um, she said to her fellow sister, I guess fellow sister, um, that um, she said, I, "I had a vision, and there was an angel beside me. He wasn't a big angel; he was very small and very beautiful and radiant. I think what they would call a cherubim, and." he he had a, in his hand he had a lance a golden lance and there were flames it seemed on the tip of it and it seemed that he plunged it in my heart and it went to the depths of my being and the pain was so great it's so much pain but the ecstasy was so great that i wouldn't trade it for anything and then he pulled the lance out of my A heart and took my heart with it and all that was left was that I was on fire for God she said I just would pray that anyone who wouldn't believe what I'm telling them to would taste this because she lived in a time when people didn't believe her and that she would get in big trouble for having these visions so it's like she that became real to her she said after that God never left her he was always with her. And so as we, we look at these lives of saints, I've been reading a lot about uh, the history of Spain because we're leading a pilgrimage to Spain and Italy and Maine in May. So I've been uh, reading about certain saints in particular. And uh, San Ferdinand is one of them, San Ferdinand Third. And he came from a long line of, of kings, actually, whose mission it was to, is to drive the Moors out of Spain. Yogananda said in a previous life, he was a king who drove the Moors out of Spain. Ferdinand III was that such king. And there are many correlations between their lives, Yogananda and Ferdinand. And um, his mother one time asked him, His mother was a saint too, so was his great-grandfather, you know. It was like they all just kept incarnating for this. And she said to him, and he was hmm, probably 13 or 14, and she said, What do you think about in the silence of your soul after communion? And he said, Oh, Mother, I know that Jesus Christ is inside of me, and I close my eyes in order to talk to him better. And I say to him, "You are my king, and I am your knight, and I want to do great labors for you in the wars against the Moors. I want to shed my blood for you, and your mother is my lady he He worshiped Christ, but divine mother is who he he really worshiped, and so that that um divine relationship with God it's not based on the thinking the thinking I should do this I should do that if I'm better in this way God will love me more if I'm good today if I'm nice to this person if I'm you know doing my work well then maybe God will love me more and it's not it's getting beyond that and it's not like the saints didn't have to work hard at it and they showed us how they did San Ferdinand again, uh, they were always going to these wars because they were taking the country back from the Moors. And uh, it's exciting to read about it because it's a little bit like the uh, Mahabharata, the Pandavas against the Kauravas, because there were always these little Christian armies, and there was maybe 3,000 against throngs of Moors, you know, tens of thousands. And the Christians were always winning. And they believe so deeply in Christ and they believe so deeply in their purpose that, and they haven't had an avatar leading them <laughs> that helped, but you know, Yogananda said he also was Arjuna and was at that battle of Kurukshetra. So it's like they would believe in Christ and they would go forth with that belief. They were also very, very uh, hardened soldiers. They were monk soldiers, many of them. And that was the purpose of their whole life was just to serve God. They didn't care what happened to them. They just wanted to serve Christ. And one time they were taking siege of Sevilla in southern Spain. And it took months and they were camped outside of the the castle. And Um, it hadn't rained for a long time. There was a drought happening. And San Ferdinand III realized that, you know, this was getting very serious. And so he retired to another place to fast and meditate and pray. And for three days he fasted and he prayed. And then at the end of the third day, the father, the priest, who came to say morning matins with him, Said um, you need to eat. You know he was he was um, getting weaker, and but he came up and there was San Ferdinand. And he was kneeling on the floor with his arms straight out and he was looking up at the ceiling, and he was saying, "Holy Mary, my mistress and mother." He was having a vision of Mary, and. And meanwhile, what was starting to happen is rain was falling. And he didn't even notice all this rain coming in through the little window. And so it's not like it doesn't take a lot of energy. It does take a lot of energy. Look at how much energy the saints put out to get to that spot. You know, it's not like like we just can say, oh, gee... God, I really want you. I want you in my life more. And we're thinking about it. Yeah, that gets us in the beginning of it. But we have to put out energy because we have to bring our energy up to God's energy. So often, I think, you know, it's like we expect God to come to our energy. We have to go up to that energy and get out of that thinking but get past it to the other part. Um, On a more human level, when I was a teenager, I volunteered in a hospital for Eskimo people and from the Northwest Territories of Canada. And um, I lived in the northernmost city, big city of Canada. And um, when I first came, I was a candy striper. <laughs> we wore little candy striped aprons and or little uniforms. And when I first came, they warned me about a little boy. They said... They said, oh, he's incorrigible, he's unmanageable, he, he won't do anything anybody says, you can't control him, Just it's better just to leave him alone. And I was immediately drawn to this little tyke. <laughs> he had energy. He had energy and he had determination. He was very badly burned. He he had been caught in a fire and, and his whole face was was burned and disfigured and his neck and his chest and and his his hands had been burnt his left hand had been melted completely it was like like you could um, it was just smooth, the skin had just melted into a ball and it was very very smooth, you could feel his little fingers in there but his hand was imprisoned he couldn't move it and his other hand was also burned and he, he could only use a few of his fingers and so I set out, and he limped, and he smelled because he was sick and because he wouldn't let anybody near him. And I set out to win his trust and started by just talking to him and um, like I would talk to anyone and uh, just read him books and play with him and try to interest him in things. And after a while, slowly, you know, he started to become... Uh, more friendly to me and and pretty soon he was sitting on my lap. There was another little girl there too who was needed a lot of attention and So I remember she just had this thick black shock of hair. It was really short and um they they spent a lot of time on my lap it was was I played with them and and it was after a while Georgie was his name when I would he would see me coming, he'd come running down the hallway and with his limp and ungainly run and he'd throw himself into my arms. And we just had this really sweet relationship and he would let me feed him and and um now my actions to these children, it didn't come from okay, thinking it through. That wasn't what it was because well I was fifteen, I wasn't analytical of life yet and i was um just wanting to do what i could but i wasn't thinking i mean if i had thought it through i would have thought well here's a little boy he's been through a horrendous experience he's been in a fire he's been taken to the hospital and left there it's like burns are just one of the most painful and slow healing of wounds and So, you know, anybody touch him, that would hurt. So he's not going to let anyone touch him anymore. And so it's like, yes, he needs some TLC. But when I look back on it, I realize I had one goal every time that I went there. And that was to make Georgie laugh. That was my goal. That was my goal to see that little spark of joy come out in him. And um, that, because that's where you meet in spirit, isn't it? It's often in laughter. It's like when you laugh in camaraderie with someone, you have that little spark of the divine. And that that through that is where we live in spirit. And so to make Georgie forget, just for a moment even, just to make him laugh. And that's with all of us, you know, just to make us laugh, to live... Live in that, um, and I don't mean laugh super, superfluously. I, you know, one time I was over at the Crystal Hermitage and Swami Kriyananda was there, it was an outdoor event and he was sitting at outdoor wrought iron table and I was standing behind him and uh, a little ways away and he, somebody said something and everybody laughed and I felt this joy welling up in me and I laughed, and Swami heard it, and he turned around to see who laughed, because he heard that joy, and it was just spontaneous. It wasn't like I could manufacture it, and so he he was so attuned to that spirit, to that sense of spirit, and so, you know, as our our lives go on, and we keep trying to do this more and more, we start by thinking our minds come in in that they will help us with self-discipline. And that's what we need to use our conscious minds for, is helping us to discipline our thoughts, to discipline ourselves, and to always constantly be bringing our energy up, bringing it up, bringing it up. We have very, very dear friends who are nearing their transition time right now, and uh Brinde and Tushti, and the, Brinde said not long ago, she said, "I feel so alive, I feel so alive it's like it's like she's leaving behind all the all the mundane things she's she's <laughs> she's getting out of the conscious room, going into the super conscious room, you know it's like living more from that light and feeling that light come down and so." As we focus on that more, that becomes our reality. How many times have you let an opportunity go by where you didn't open your heart? Where you could have opened your heart a little bit more. You could have been more friendly. You could have been more sweet. You could have been more kind to somebody. But because you were thinking, you were maybe analyzing, maybe you were critiquing or judging whether the situation or whether that person or whether yourself. And so that opportunity slipped by. And you, and then it was gone. It's like if, when we live more in that, just taking those opportunities and every time you do, just opening your heart a little bit, that lets the divine in. And as with these saints that have, have great visions, you know, we have little little visions, little feelings, little abilities to do that. Don't underestimate your spiritual experiences. They may be very slight. It may only be a little feeling of love or peace, but that's a spiritual experience. And when the love of the devotee meets the Creator's love, there leaps a spark of divine love. And so if we only knew how much God loved us. Yogananda said that many times. And I want to, to finish by reading something that Swamiji wrote a long time ago. Why don't you close your eyes to listen to this? I wanted it to be exactly as, I wanted to read it so it would be exactly as he said it. Swamiji said, once when I w- felt I was having an exceptionally different, difficult time, I said to Master, "Please bless me." He looked at me and through me with his great, luminous eyes, and then replied with such profound gentleness, "I am blessing you all the time. so much I cannot even say. so much." It is better to not even ask. Just receive it. God bless you all.